Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the ideas articulated in J.R. Tolkien's essay on fairy stories that has probably drawn the most attention from that particular piece is what he calls subcreation. And it is connected with what he calls secondary worlds, secondary beliefs, and subcreators. So we've got four different terms floating around, all closely connected. And it matters what it is being contrasted against, which is not just disbelief or the realism of the primary world. You could even go too far, he thinks, with certain kinds of secondary beliefs. And we'll talk about that in just a bit when we get to Farian drama. So the concept first starts to get articulated in the section on children. And he's talking about Andrew Lang, who is, you know, a great fairy story collector. He produced all these colored fairy books and Tolkien himself was a reader of these. And he thinks that Lang is fundamentally off base in saying that the fairy stories represent the young age of man true to his early loves and have his unblunted edge of belief, a fresh appetite for marvels. Tolkien says a little bit too close identification of belief and marvels, right? And he says that Fairy tales shouldn't just trade on children's credulity or the lack of experience. Children, he says, are capable of literary belief when the story maker's art is good enough to produce it. And here he says something really quite interesting. We often talk about the willing suspension of disbelief, right? A choice to believe in something as integral to what makes fiction, that is, things that are untrue being presented as if they are true work. And Tolkien says, this is not a good description of what happens. What really happens? So he's giving us a metaphysics, you could say, of, or an epistemology to a certain extent of how fiction, how fairy tales in particular work. And so he tells us that in the kind of belief that is involved here, what really happens is that the story maker proves a successful sub-creator. And what does that mean? Well, the sub-creator makes a secondary world which your mind can enter. And we'll talk about that in a bit, but note that Tolkien is not saying, well, anytime that you do this, it's automatically going to work. Successful is a key qualifying term there. There's many people who write fairy stories or dramas or engage in other sorts of fantasy projection, and it just doesn't come across. As a matter of fact, Tolkien is very critical of attempts to produce literature specifically for children by taking good stories in which, you know, a secondary world is created and then like shaving off all of the scary or nasty or adult bits, right? He says, oh, that's going to be unsuccessful, right? Or maybe it does create a successful secondary world, but it's an impoverished one, right? That's something we could explore. So he goes on and he says, when you've got a secondary world inside it, what he relates, the storyteller relates is true. It accords with the laws of that world. You therefore believe it while you are, as it were, inside. So as long as you are 
within the secondary world and it's enticing, enchanting enough, you actually believe it. You can become quite attached, for example, to the fates of characters, right? Just to take Tolkien's own, when Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit is engaging in the riddle game with Gollum, and there's this threat that Gollum will kill him and eat him, right? Uh, you know, you can feel a sense of concern, even fear for Bilbo Baggins, because you believe for a while that that secondary world is in fact real. So he says, you believe it while you're inside. The moment that disbelief arises, the spell is broken. The magic or rather art has failed. It might've failed from the very start for some authors. And then you are out in the primary world again, looking, that is a wonderful phrase, at the little abortive secondary world from outside. If you are obliged by kindliness or circumstance to stay, then the disbelief must be suspended or stifled. Otherwise looking and listening would become intolerable. But this suspension of disbelief, he says, is a substitute for the genuine thing. A subterfuge we use when condescending to games of make-believe or when trying more or less willingly to find what virtue we can in a work of art that has for us failed. So very interesting, the belief that we have in secondary worlds, in sub-creations, is something distinct from the willing suspension of disbelief, which is a poor substitute for it. He gives you an example here that might be a little hard to relate to, but just think about any sort of interest that one might have. A real enthusiast for cricket, the sport of cricket, is in the enchanted state, secondary belief. I, Tolkien says, when I watch a match, I am on the lower level. I can achieve more or less willing suspension of disbelief when I'm held there and supported by some other motive that will keep away boredom. For instance, a wild heraldic preference for dark blue rather than light. This suspension of disbelief may thus be a somewhat tired, shabbier, sentimental state of mind and so lean to the adult. And he says, I fancy this is often the state of adults in the presence of a fairy story. We watch it or listen to it or read it. And, you know, we're like, oh, okay, that's for kids. We don't really buy into it. We don't appreciate it that much. So that's quite a set of important points that he's making there. And he goes on and he talks about this a little bit more in the section on fantasy. And he tells us that, to begin with, fantasy is this word that is going to embrace the sub-creative art in itself and the quality of strangeness and wonder in the expression. And what's needed here? Well, we got to distinguish fantasy from imagination. Imagination is part of it, right? But imagination passes through art or craft or enchantment, if you like, and then produces sub-creation. The sub-creator can't just have an active imagination, they also need to have some skill. They have to develop their chops, so to speak. And if they do, then they can create a successful sub-creation. And it won't necessarily be successful for everybody. Plenty of people can read Tolkien and be like, oh, this is silly, I don't like this kind of stuff. Or any other author, C.J. Chera, with her Great Alliance Union Universe works. You can read them and be like, eh, there's too much detail about how a ship works or how gravity works in here. It's leaving me cold. But you can also enter into that secondary world. And that is a product of not just imagination, but art and subcreation. So he goes on and he actually says that fantasy is perhaps the most 
or at least more sub-creative kind of activity. And fantasy is very connected with fairy tales, right? So fantasy is more sub-creative, but it's also, he says, more difficult. Why? At any rate, it's found in practice, the inner consistency of reality is more difficult to produce. The more unlike are the images and the rearrangements of primary material to the actual arrangements of the primary world. It's easier to produce this kind of reality with more sober material, he says. So fantasy often remains undeveloped and it's been used frivolously merely for decoration. It remains merely fanciful, not fantasy. And he says, anyone inheriting the fantastic device of human language can say the green sun. Many can then imagine or picture it, but that's not enough to make, he says, to make a secondary world inside which the green sun will be credible will probably require labor and thought and will require a special skill, a kind of elvish craft. So, you know, making the secondary world believable commanding what he's called secondary belief, the belief that you have as you enter into it, that is tricky. It's easier to do that with say a spy novel or a romance novel, right? Because you're basically just taking what people are already doing and introducing a few kind of weird things like umbrellas that shoot bullets or vast plots that you could be part of or people being attracted to each other in ways that perhaps doesn't happen in real life. Fantasy is a lot tougher because you've got a lot more work to do to make that secondary world credible. So he goes on and he says, few attempt such difficult tasks, but when they're attempted in any degree accomplished, then we have a rare achievement of art. Indeed, narrative art, storytelling, as he's going to say, in its primary and most potent mode. And this is why Tolkien, perhaps wrongly, depending on how we view this, is going to say that you're really going to do this in literature, in words, not in painting or the other plastic arts, not in drama. I suspect he would probably roll film and TV under drama. And he's got a long section discussing that, that we have addressed elsewhere. But it is important to talk about one type of drama that he brings up. Fairian drama, right? So there should be a connection between fairy tales and what happens in them and that kind of drama. So he says that this can produce fantasy with a realism and immediacy beyond the compass of any human mechanism. As a result, now notice what he's going to say here. Their usual effect is to go beyond secondary belief, right? It may be producing secondary belief, but it is also going beyond it in a way that alters that secondary belief. This is very important for Tolkien. He says that if you are present at a fairy and drama, you yourself are or think that you are bodily inside its secondary world. You're not just reading a book and imagining yourself within that secondary world. You believe yourself within that secondary world yourself bodily, right? So he says that this experience may be very similar to dreaming and it has, it would seem sometimes by men been confounded with it. But in fairy and drama, you are in a dream that some other mind is weaving and the knowledge of that alarming fact may slip from your grasp to experience directly a secondary world. The potion is too strong and you give to it, not secondary belief, but primary belief. However, marvelous the events, you are deluded 
right? And this is for the designers, a form of art and distinct from wizardry or magic, so-called. The designers don't live in it, though they can perhaps afford to spend more time in it than human artists can. He's talking about elves here. The primary world, reality of elves and men is the same, if differently valued and perceived. So he's not saying don't ever indulge yourself in fairy and drama. And we might think in our own time, well, what would be like that? I mean, immersive video games could be like that, right? He goes on and he says one other thing that, that's quite important. And this is in this, the section, the last section of the work before the epilogue. He tells us that fantasy is at its core made up of the primary world, right? The fairy stories are fantasy at their core and we have to use the primary world. He says, a good craftsman loves his material and has a knowledge and feeling for clay, stone and wood, which only the art of making can give. And he says, fairy stories deal largely mainly with simple or fundamental things untouched by fantasy, but the simplicities are made all the more luminous by their setting. So it says it was in fairy stories. I first divine the potency of the words and the wonder of the things such as stone and wood and iron tree and grass, house and fire, bread and wine. These are all material objects, right? Which we could easily adopt kind of dismissive, reductive attitudes towards. So Tolkien is saying that within the secondary world, these take on a different framing. But he also talks in this very section about great desires, primordial desires that we human beings have, not just to escape from bad things, including death, but also these longings for the desire to visit the deep sea, the longing for the flight of a bird and profounder wishes, the desire to converse with other living things like the animals, right? And so these are part of the primary world, part of what makes us us. And we carry that forward into the secondary world as believers or as sub-creators who are developing that narrative in which, for example, the beasts can speak and hold converse with human beings and each other and not just hold converse or engage in discussion or whatever, but have laws and kingdoms and desires of their own. So secondary worlds are incredibly important, but also hard to pull off. It takes real artistry as a sub-creator. So this is what Tolkien is actually saying here. You notice that we've had to pull together a number of different passages from different sections because he doesn't have a section specifically on sub-creation, secondary worlds, secondary belief, and sub-creators. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.